This episode is supported by Jace Medical. You may or may not know that in December, drug shortages across the U.S. hit a record high. This is causing severe disruptions in medical treatments, resulting in delays, treatment cancellations, and the unfortunate rationing of vital medications. I know that I have heard in the last few months from multiple mom friends of mine, instances where they have not been able to get medications for themselves or for their children in critical crisis moments. This is so, so scary. I know I've had friends with their kids having seasonal flu cold symptoms, struggling to breathe, and they're at urgent care and unable to get the antibiotics that they need because of these shortages. This is scary stuff. Most notably, one of the short supply antibiotics is amoxicillin, which is commonly used for so many of our children's illnesses. So here's where Jace Medical comes in. They have the Jace case, which is a personalized emergency medication kit that contains five essential antibiotics that are used for the most common and deadly bacterial infections. And you can also customize your case and add additional life-saving medications based on your or your children's family's unique needs, like an EpiPen, for example, something that you would never want to be without, would never want to have to run from pharmacy to pharmacy in pursuit of. So if you want to go get these medications and have your antibiotics on supply so that you always have them when you need them in case of an emergency, in case of a disaster, in case of being a, you know, a victim of this drug shortage, Jace Medical will have you covered. All you need to do is go to jacemedical.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout for a discount on your order. That's promo code SHAMELESS at jacemedical, J-A-S-E medical.com, jacemedical.com, code SHAMELESS. This is the Shameless Mom Academy episode 834 with Dr. Thunmeet Seti. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in this episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 834. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community, so be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Hello, shameless moms. I wanted to let you know what we're doing over the next two weeks because I'm very excited. We're doing something we've never done before here on the podcast. So I combed through our podcast catalog, which is vast, 830 some episodes, in order to bring you the very best of our best of episodes. And so what I did is I looked through all of our episodes from the last few years, and I pulled out some of our most popular ones that I knew would be really resonant around this time of year. And so what's interesting is oftentimes, you know, topics come up on the show that are, could be beneficial in a new year transition, but weren't necessarily recorded at that time or shared at that time. And so what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks is give you episodes that are conversations that had were had not necessarily related to the transition from one year to the next, but we're going to apply them to maybe what is the conversation that's going on in your head this time of year as you transition from one year to the next. These interviews have been wildly popular, but they're also really pertinent topics as you consider who you want to be and how you want to show up over the next year. So I hope that you'll show up, tune in. Even if you've heard these episodes before, I promise you they land differently when you're sitting in a different place. And they're some of the most, the people that I adore most who've been on the show and some of the people who I most widely and deeply respect. So tune in, listen up. I know you're going to love these guests and I know that they're going to help you kick off 2024 in a way that feels 
great and supportive and positive and also very purposeful and intentional for you. So thanks for being here. Happy holidays. And I can't wait to be back with you in a couple weeks. And in the meantime, enjoy these episodes because I picked them especially for you, especially for right now. Thanmeet Sethi is maybe one of my favorite people I met in 2023. In fact, as I'm recording this a week or so before Christmas, um, I'm getting ready to go for a walk with her in 45 minutes. I'm meeting her to go for a walk around Green Lake. If you're in Seattle, you know where that is. So she was someone who became such an immediate friendship from just a quick conversation and then our wonderful interview that we, as we wrapped up the interview, decided we have to meet up in person. And then we went for a walk shortly after that. We've been to multiple events together since then. I've gotten to hear her speak multiple times since then. And now we're meeting up to walk again. And so she's just someone who is one of those people that feels like has always been in your life, even though she, I just met her in the last year. So we immediately hit it off and found this just really, really sweet friendship. And I appreciate her so much. But the reason I appreciate her is because of what she talks about and how it serves the world. So Thanmeet talks about joy is a form of resistance. And this is something that is so crucial and so important all the time, but also especially right now. And so I want you to think about how you want to expand your capacity for joy in 2024, even as you navigate hard seasons, and especially as you navigate hard seasons. When you have that capacity to expand your joy in hard seasons, it also expands exponentially all other times. So I chose this episode to share as a best of episode as an invitation to you. I invite you to let joy in in the new year as your birthright and as a form of resistance. And this interview will guide you on exactly how to do that. Dr. Thunmeet Seti is a board-certified integrative family medicine physician who has spent the last 25 years on the front lines locally and globally practicing primary care and trauma work with the most marginalized communities. As a mother, she has received the impossible news that her youngest son has a fatal degenerative disease. She weaves together expertise of both acquired knowledge with lived experience and translates them accessibly through the blend of ancient spiritual traditions and modern neuroscience. She is trained in neuropsychedelic medicine, integrative and functional medicine, and a clinical researcher of psilocybin at the University of Washington. I had such a fantastic time in this conversation with Thunmeet. And by the end of the conversation, we were just already really tight friends. <laughs> and so we decided to immediately schedule a time to get together in person since we both live in Seattle. And we ended up going for a walk a couple of weeks after the interview. I got to meet her in person, meet her dog, who was the cutest thing in the world. Don't tell Piper. So it was so fun to just have this immediate connection and be so inspired by such an incredible woman, such an incredible shameless mom. And it brought me so much joy, which is what we're talking about today. Thunmeet radiates joy in so many ways. And I'm so grateful to call her a new friend and share her with you. Also, if you are in Seattle, please come meet Thunmeet and me in person at her book launch coming up on May 3rd. May 3rd, 2023, at the Elliott Bay Book Company. She's actually going to be speaking alongside Ijeoma Aluo, who wrote So You Want to Talk About Race, and they're going to be talking about Thunmeet's book, which comes out on May 2nd, that you're definitely going to want to get. So I already have the book. I have a hard copy of the book. I got an early copy of the book from Thunmeet, which is phenomenal. I pre-ordered the audio because I also know that I want to hear Thunmeet, like read it into my ear. I know you are going to want this book. So the name of the book is Joy Is My Justice, and oh my goodness, is it going to just blow your mind, but also crack your heart wide open. 
So listen in to hear Thunmeet share how she came to embrace joy as an act of resistance and how she came to self-identify as a joy activist. Then she digs into how she has navigated mothering her son, Zubin, who was diagnosed with a fatal degenerative disease at the age of three. She talks about the expansiveness of joy versus the narrow path of suffering and the important difference between happiness and joy, which is a really interesting distinction. She talks about what her joy practice looks like when every single day she sees that there's something new to lose as her son's condition worsens. She talks about how to fight against whitewashed wellness. So not just to force us always to look on the bright side and find the silver lining because this actually dampens our power. She talks about how to show up for people in your life who are going through grief and things to avoid saying. She digs into the role of our nervous systems when it comes to joy. And then we end the conversation talking about how we can all step into joy activism and make our own joy revolutions. Oh, this conversation is so heart-wrenching, but also heartwarming. And I know you're going to leave feeling really, really inspired with some things that you can do to become a joy activist yourself and really go about creating your own joy revolution. So with all that said, please join me in welcoming Thunmeet Seti to the Shameless Mom Academy. Thunmeet, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so excited to have you here and you're my neighbor, we've just learned. So I'm so excited to have you here as a neighbor and a fellow shameless mom and all the good things. Oh, Sarah, I'm so honored to be here. I'm really excited for our conversation. This is going to be lots of good stuff. I think we're like, we already started like our mutual adoration fest. I'm <laughs> like, I love your work. No, I love exactly. your work. Exactly. So, <laughs> so here we go. Can you tell us a little bit more about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio and what you're most excited about right now? Mm. I have to tell you, I don't know, many parents, moms may be able to relate to this, but personally, I'm excited for my kids to be thriving a little better. Um, mental health was really an, a challenge during this pandemic, and it's been painful you know, to support them through that. It's been good to support them, but painful to watch. Mm -hmm. And I'm just so glad to see them coming to a more powerful place. So that's really exciting to me. The other thing I'm really excited about is my book, which comes out May 2nd, or has probably come out by the time of this. And yeah. it's really just a labor of love and real purpose for me to get this book out and to hope to impact even more people than I can one-on-one. -on -one. And tell us the title of the book so we can reference it by its proper name. The book is called Joy is My Justice. Oh, Reclaim Yours Now. Yeah. I love it. I feel like for people who've been listening to the show for a while, they're like, oh, wow, like maybe has, there's never been a more appropriate title, like something that Sarah would be really excited about. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes. People are like, I got asked to do something a few years ago and with another parent with related to some stuff our kids were doing. And the parent that asked me to volunteer was like, well, I was thinking that like, you could be like the social justice person. In the, and I was like, yes, I'm like, you're, that's the only thing you need to say to me. Like, I would say no to this request for 1 million reasons because I don't have the time, but you asked me to show up as the social justice person I'm in. <laughs> Exactly. So, yes. I'm with it. you. I'm with you. Can you tell us, you mentioned your children and the pandemic and I, your example is so appropriate, I think, and helpful for so many, because I think that so many of us are in that place of having supported children through the pandemic in a million different ways and really seen some of the outcomes and results of that time, like for better and for worse. Can you tell us how old your children are now? And for that frame of reference, 
Yeah. My oldest just turned 20 last weekend. He's a freshman in college. And then my other two are at home. They're 18 and 15. Okay. Oh my goodness. So your experience of child rearing in the pandemic was with these like teenager, I mean, really big transitional times of life. Yes. Big deal. And I think we haven't seen the full outcome yet, to be honest. I agree. I agree. My son is 10 and a half. And it's interesting. There's some things that have come up in like just the last couple of months where I'm like, "Mm, I'm pretty sure that's like from the pandemic. That's yeah. worries about some strange things where I'm like, where is this coming from? And I'm like, oh, that's because you were a child raised in a three-year global pandemic. Yes, exactly. Big stuff for sure. When you talk about your work, you talk about joy as an act of resistance Mm -hmm. and you describe yourself as a joy activist. Can we just start there and dig into all all of that? Yeah, you know, my new mission and my new activism is joy. And I was, I've been an activist for the last 25 years in my career. I've been completely devoted to social justice and health equity in my field and caring for the most marginalized and fighting on the streets, the courtrooms, the exam rooms. But joy has become my real mission now. And it was a real central focus of all my patients' work and the participants that I've worked with globally around trauma. But I am realizing that joy is the truest liberation we will ever know. It is deep in our body. And every moment of joy and practice of joy is like a sweet gift of overdue equity that creates this sense of more belonging and connection in the world that may have excluded us from the Mm. systems of oppression or suffering that we're experiencing. So it's for me, joy is a bold act of resistance. It's saying to the powers of those systems and to the suffering that may be unchangeable in our lives, that you may have tried to strip me of my humanity. You may have tried to strip me of my power, but here I am rising nonetheless. Mm. Oh my goodness. I love that so much. I'm thinking of, I'm in the middle of listening to rest is resistance. Are you familiar oh. with <laughs> We're on the yeah. same page, my sister. Oh my gosh. And what's so interesting when we talk about resistance and activism and like taking a stand. And I think that because so many of us bring so much energy to that and invest in this like high level of energetic expenditure to instead bring it to this level of rest is resistance and joy is resistance. It's very counterculture and brilliant and necessary. And I think this shift in terms of activism and doing the work that makes it, I mean, maybe more approachable and more enjoyable, but also like it gives the outcomes that we want, but also gives a little bit of a middle finger to the people who need it. (laughs) Yes, it's completely anti-capitalist and anti-system. And I feel like I'm sure we would have gotten into this, but my son was diagnosed with a fatal disease. And in that process, you know, imagine for your listeners, just, you know, being pregnant with my third child, finding out my second child now has what's the equivalent of an ALS for children, Mm -hmm. degenerative and fatal Duchenne muscular dystrophy. And having been an activist my whole life, fighting for change and fighting for better to be faced with the 
tragedy that was incurable, unchangeable, unmovable, and to think, well, sure, I could probably push through this. I probably can just get what needs to get done done. But how am I actually going to be a mother who thrives and a mother who has joy? And is it even okay for a mother to be joyful when her child is dying? Mm. So, so many layers in that. And that's when I realized the biggest thing that I could fight for was myself. Oh my goodness. So many things in there that I want to do, but I first want to acknowledge, thank you so much for bringing up your son. And that was actually, we were going there next anyway. So you just like brought us right into the segue, which I appreciate when you or your team email initially about scheduling an interview, I immediately connected to your work and your content and your writing and all these things. But then there was this like one little line about being a mother to a son with a fatal disease. And I was like, well, that's like this conversation would have been a yes, no matter what, but this is the most pure reason to show up for this conversation. And when you talk about being able to hold joy in light of your situation with your son and this diagnosis, I can't imagine what that feels like, but I also can't imagine any other way because how else do you continue to show up? So can you talk a little bit about your son and if you don't mind sharing, like when that diagnosis happened, how old he was and the unique joy that he brings you and how you've continued to lean into that. Mm. He was barely three at the time. And I will be honest with your community. I'm honest with everyone about everything. It's a process, right? I didn't get this diagnosis and think, how am I going to be joyful and then figure it out? You know, it's maybe simple, but it's not easy. And it may be the only thing you can do, but it is exactly the thing you don't want to do because your body, your mind, and your heart are primed to run the hell away, to get away from that pain as fast as possible because there's no way that you want to have it. And so, you know, that was my primal instinct too. Don't think about, wish it were different, resist it, like hope it changes. This must be a dream. How can this be? And how am I going to live this shitty life? You know, all of that spiritual darkness. But because of this sense of wanting to lean into joy, it actually, I will tell you the truth, it happened, the stories in my book, but it happened in that first day with my husband and I sitting on the porch with our heads hung down thinking, what the hell just happened? And we were going through the proverbial, why me? Why Mm -hmm. us? Why Zubin? That's my son's name, Zubin. And why, why, why? And in this moment of what can only be thought of as something bigger than us, we still can't remember who said it, he Mm -hmm. or I, but one of us said, why not me? Mm -hmm. Why not us? Why not us to move through this adversity and still teach our children that you can hold joy right next to it? Why not us? And who are we to think that we're as humans in, you know, sort of what's the word? What's the word? Not possible to have this kind of pain, right? Impervious to pain. Right, right. And because even that question, why me, which is so normal, I still say it in traffic. Why me? You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it comes up, right? But what it really is, is humanity and arrogance wanting to think that bad things only happen to bad people. Like, why me? I don't deserve this. But why not me is an expansive, powerful stance to say, why not me to hold this and rewrite this story to be bigger than the one I was given? 
Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're aiming more of a, we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Oh my goodness. And I love your choice of words there around expansiveness. I think that there's so much power in that and so much, there's a lot of space in there for this broad spectrum of experience and with the conditions that you've been given versus this, like what I would imagine initially could have been this very narrow path of grief and pain. You just really nailed it, which is that suffering is so narrow. It makes our lens so narrow that we cannot see beyond it. And so All a joy practice is, again, it's simple, but not easy, but all it is, is saying, how can I expand this narrow sliver, even just a little, so I can see something more worth living and fighting for? And how can I do that every day in my own way? Because this practice of joy is everyone's to own. Even in my book, I explain how it's a roadmap that I am offering a roadmap for your practice to joy. There is no one way to this. But what's clear is that when we're suffering, we are so narrowed in and contracted that if we can just expand a little more and then a little more, we see that life has so much more for us. And these this suffering or trauma or oppression has given us this story that this is all it is, mm-hmm. but that's never true. Right, right. Your son was three when he was diagnosed, and is he? He you said he's your middle son. He's yes, 18? he's eighteen. Yes. So you've now had fifteen years of practicing this. Can you talk a little bit about? I'm sure it's not been a super linear path to joy. I'm sure there's maybe been some peaks and valleys. 
Can you talk a little bit about what that's looked like over the last 15 years? Yeah. Well, you know, that's a really good question to hone in for people. I think that there's a misunderstanding about joy, Mm -hmm. that it's similar to happiness. I'll take happiness any day. It's pleasurable. It's fun to have, but it is not joy. Joy is a practice that allows me to hold all the nooks and crannies of this grief process that changes, by the way. I have a very strong joy practice, but my grief runs deep. You know, now my son is in the very hard stages of this ALS-like disease where he's losing even his upper muscle strength. And every day there's loss and more loss, heart failure until the end comes, right? And so there's no time where I've come up and triumphed that I have got this down. There's always something new to lose. Mm. And at the same time, my joy practice shows me that this is not binary, that my joy actually draws from the same deep well as my pain and my capacity for love and meaning. And when I have joy, what it really means is I can touch into all that I'm feeling, hold all of it, and know that my story is more expansive and larger than any one thing. And so over these 15 years, what it has given me is that every turn of grief and loss I feel it fully in my body. I feel very sad often, but I know that my sadness is a deep form of my love. I know that my sadness means that I'm still human. If I can feel sadness that deeply, then this suffering has not stripped me of my humanity. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of an example of how joy practice allows you to hold all of it. It's not a solution or somewhere to reach. It's a way to hold all the challenge. Oh my goodness. There's so much in there. I was just reminded of something that in ex-boyfriend said to me in my early twenties that made me really mad at the time because it was too, it was like one of those things where I was like, that's too true. We were talking about happiness and I was talking about being really happy about something. I don't know what, but I was talking about like how great it feels like when something is so fantastic, whatever he said, well, you can only experience that level of happiness or joy or what have you, because if you've experienced like an equal level of sadness, you can only like appreciate like one end of the spectrum if you've been on the other end of the spectrum. And at first I was like, that is absolutely not true. And at, you know, 22, I couldn't see that. And then I was driving home and I was like, huh, maybe there's something there. And then, I mean, now, you know, 25 years <laughs> later, so I'm, like, irritating. I'm like, I think he was onto something. <laughs> And I think, you know, people will ask me, so do I have to have tragic pain to feel that joy? I don't have the answer to that. I'm not a spiritual guru, right? What I will say is that if you have depths of pain in your life, and here's the spoiler alert, I don't know anyone who doesn't. I really don't. I think people compare their pain and that's where Mm -hmm. they get get it wrong. Uh, My pain, people often say, oh, I don't have a child who's dying. You don't, but I also don't have many higher levels of pain if we're going to get into that hierarchical oppressive system of ranking it, right? Mm -hmm. And when we rank suffering, we only give it more power. So maybe we could just understand that all of us have pain and all of our pain is a gateway to our deepest forms of joy. And actually imagining pain, even if we're young and we haven't felt so much loss yet, maybe. There may be people who are like that. I still think people are grappling with their own self-criticism and their own self-worth. You know, I just think there's a lot of pain. But let's say you're still grappling with it. Imagination, imagining, as you said, 
what my pain is like. So I get a lot of people saying, I can't imagine. And I say, I really would invite you to do so. I would invite you to imagine my pain because that pain is a bridge to your pain. And if you can sit in my pain, you can feel yours more deeply. And if you can do that, you are one step closer to the most joy you will ever know. Oh my goodness. So powerful. Can you talk about how we can simultaneously hold space for grief and fear and potential for triumph? And I'm thinking around those three words in your situation, grief is this like 15 year process now for you. And then fear in terms of what you know is coming and triumph and what that looks like on a daily basis or what you anticipate that looking like in the future. Can you talk a bit about that as you frame it as well? Yeah. Yeah. That's a big, it's an amazing question, I think. So I love how you brought it into that practical way. So I'll, I'll stay with that. I will give you an example, actually, because you're right. I have grief in the present moment. I have anticipatory grief. I really can't say what that's going to be like. You know, I have no idea. I hope and I wish for grace to walk through that when that moment comes. And I'll let that be what it is when it comes. But right now, what I can say is that the way that I hold at that with triumph is an example is in the cardiologist's office. This is most resonant for me because it's in my book. So I've been thinking about it. When the cardiologist recently in an appointment told us how bad Zubin's heart failure was, Mm. it was just facts that he was offering us. He wasn't trying to hurt us, but it's a moment of trauma and loss in that Mm -hmm. in sitting with him, telling him as well. Mm -hmm. And I'm in the middle of nine hours of doctor's appointments, and there's no way I can crumple down on the floor the way I want to. So I'm feeling grief. I'm feeling so much fear. But what I do is say out loud to him and my son and my husband, that news makes me so sad. And at the same time, I know his heart has never failed him or myself. Mm. And in that moment, if you can see, I've just triumphed by rewriting that story to, as we've talked about, be a little more expansive. It doesn't take away the pain of the moment, but it allows me to knit a golden sling under that pain so that my story can grow into something that is far bigger than what they've given me. Yeah. Yeah. I want to be really conscientious and thank you for that really touching example. I want to be conscientious around finding silver linings. And this is something that's so interesting in the work that I do and in the coach, the online coaching space, especially there's so much spiritual and emotional bypassing of things. And this is something that I have learned to be very wary of. And it's because it's like such a tarnish on the industry that I serve my people in. And it was interesting when you pointed out in the notes that we were passing back and forth prior to this conversation that you wanted to touch on, we can't just be looking for silver linings. And I think that the example that you just gave is a great place to dig into this piece of the conversation, to be sitting in a moment of tremendous grief and anticipatory fear and grief and a really, really hard moment um, on a really hard day. And what is, what's the difference between what you did in that moment and the kind of this cultural conditioning around just find, look at the, look on the bright side or find the silver lining, which is obviously much more light and fluffy and would have you just bypass the weight of, of a moment or a day or a really hard thing. Yeah. I think you answered it, but I'll expand on your beautiful question answer, (laughs) which is that, first of all, I think that find the bright 
this is the foundation of the book is fighting against this whitewashed wellness platitude system. Finding the bright side, looking for the silver lining is not only toxic positivity, it's actually harmful to our health. Mm -hmm. So it activates and further incites our nervous system because we do not feel validated. We feel that we are not seen. It causes a new form of anger and pain, which further incites our nervous system. It actually activates our threat center in our brain and our amygdala and causes us to not engage the executive function center where we can form clarity and meaning and actually make choices. So you can see in all the ways that it dampens our power, right? And not only that, it feels horrible because people are not allowing you to feel what you feel. The difference in those two scenarios is that I'm holding that sadness and grief and also allowing the story to expand. I'm not negating it. So joy does not negate anger, fear, or sadness, or any challenging emotion. It actually opposite allows us to hold it and create more power, belonging, and connection. So there is a big difference, but I want people to understand that the reason that that feels so bad to be told that is not because you're weak or because you can't find the silver lining, you're not capable. I think that's a further um, impounding of suffering from that approach. It's because your nervous system is now further incited. You feel not seen and invisible. So there are two sides to this. I don't feel that people, I don't like when people impose toxic positivity on me. And I don't like when people feel bad that they're not able to see the silver lining. Does it, right. Yeah. Right. That makes a lot of sense. I'm imagining that there's a lot of people who've tried to impose toxic positivity on you and thinking yes. that they're being helpful. And because I also would imagine that especially moms, if you're watching someone go through your own worst fear as a parent, that you just want to do anything that you can to make yes. that person feel better. Yes. And so can you talk a little bit about how people can show up, how moms especially can show up for each other and not leap into toxic positivity, not bypass, but to show up in an authentic way to hold that space for someone who's going through something that is potentially like riddled with fear and grief, but you're also wanting to show up for your friend, your loved one, your neighbor with joy and hope and like something to help them get through the day. Yes. I talk about this in my book and I talk about the exact things people have told me. I want to say first that I never feel that people that comes from a toxic place. I think it comes from a place of love. Mm -hmm. I think that the behavior is misplaced. The action is conditioned from what we've been taught. And so if you feel like, oh, my God, that's what I say to everyone when I say all this, just remember that's what we all said to everyone until yeah. we thought about it a little more intentionally. It's not a failing of us. It's a failing of the system that has conditioned us. So I just want to make that clear. That's a great clarification. Thank you. Yeah. I really feel like any way that you can be intentional and present about your words not diminishing or negating what another mother is feeling are the first step. So the hardest things to hear are at least you have two other children. At least, mm. you, you know, this at least is a very diminishing. I don't want to diminish my pain. I want to feel it. And now I'm feeling shameful that I feel it. Yeah. Why can't I think at least, right? Be grateful that you're healthy. Okay. 
<laughs> you know, that's another way to make me feel wrong about it. I can't imagine, right? Imagine the pain. So then I tell people, you know, the better things to do are to step in to first of all, just listen. Mm-hmm. Secondly, to just say, that sounds so hard mm-hmm. or that sounds so painful. I want desperately in my heart to have something to say. And all I want to say is I love you. And I'm here to sit with you through whatever it is until we feel, you know, that we found a way together to make this the most supportive environment, blah, blah, blah. You know, it can be anything you want. I had family members and friends ignore me for a couple of years. And when I finally had the spiritual strength to face them and say, why didn't you call me? Why didn't you talk to me? They said, I couldn't talk about that. I wasn't sure how to do it. Mm. And I wasn't sure what to say. And I said to them, how about I love you? Yeah. That's it. You can be as simple as I am here for you and willing to sit in this pain until we know what I can do more for you. Yeah. It doesn't have to be fancy. It's just don't your attempt to diminish is your discomfort around pain. So the more you can get more comfortable sitting with them in the pain, the more you'll be a support that they want to turn to over and over. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting as I'm listening to you speak that women and moms in particular, we are culturally conditioned to be fixers, to be givers, to be doers, to be people who prove ourselves like over and over and over again. So to just sit and hold space is a skill set we've never been taught. Also, probably not when we've been modeled. And that's really, really hard. And it's very uncomfortable. I'll say for myself, especially as an extrovert, it's one of the biggest struggles for me in relationships is sitting and holding space. I want to fill all the space because it's more comfortable for me to like, let me just tell you a story about my life to like, make it not be quiet right now. Right. Right. (laughs) Oh, and I mean, as you know, Sarah, and everyone knows who's a mom, this is the number one challenge of being a mother. Yeah. How do you sit with your child instead of trying to fix it? Yeah. This is, I I mean, this is the crux of motherhood. Yeah. My mom was a great or is a great advice giver and fixer of all the things. And in college, I remember one time calling her about something. And one of her things, her one of her pieces of advice that she always loved to offer me that at a certain age I was no longer willing to hear was just write a letter. So I called her about something. I was like probably a sophomore in college. And I was like, this thing isn't going right related to a class or a teacher or something. And she was like, well, you could, I think you should write them a letter. And I was like, I am not writing a letter. I just wanted to, you would have listened to me. I don't want advice. I don't want you to tell me what to do. And I don't want you to tell me to write a letter. And so in that moment, she was like, I hear you. And I hear that right now you just need me to listen. And like, it was a great conversation. And since then, you know, she's always been a great listener since then. And always kind of asked like, do you want advice? Do you want me to listen? So, oh, that's great. It's phenomenal. And it was a lesson to me in parenting that I use to this day. So now my 10-year-old who on any given day has things that he thinks, definitely my child, on any given day, he thinks a million things have been unjust in his world related to (laughs) a teacher commenting on his work or whatever, like so many things. So recently I was in the same mode as my mom. I was like, well, maybe you could go do this and you could ask the teacher and say this. And he got really mad at my suggestions. And I finally was like, do you want me to just listen to like what happened today and not tell you and like give you any advice? He's I like, yes, it. just listen. 
I so I, I think that this is kind of where we need to catch ourselves sometimes is in the discomfort of listening and letting go of like the need to fix it, to solve it, to offer solutions, uh, to just sit and listen and hold that space. Um, and like what a gift that is for the other person, because yes, that's not something that I'm guessing that you get to receive often. And it's certainly not no. something that most of us get to receive on a regular basis. No, it's such a gift. And the other thing I would say is just show up, you know, um, it's so well-meaning for people. I have so many people who say, let me know what you need this mm. week. Let me know yeah. what I can do. I don't have the energy to tell you what I yeah. need. Yeah. And so maybe you just maybe you just drop off food. Maybe you drop off flowers. Maybe you say, I was in the park and saw these beautiful flowers and picked one for you because I was thinking of you today. Yeah. Maybe you drop off dessert, whatever. Um, I'm not saying those fix everything, but there are ways, you know, I have the best support I get is when another mom calls me and says, I am available for rides for your children this week. Mm. Tell me which rides I can give. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. I will take you up on that. But a nebulous sort of what can I do? I can't even engage because guess what? My limbic system in the center of my brain is on fire and I don't have that clarity center engaged. So I need someone to help me with that. So yeah. Th yeah, that's another way. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky, wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. Mm. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January. Unsticking it with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Those are all really great examples. We actually have someone in our community going through a temporary, we think, health crisis, but a single parent. And when I learned about this, I was raised by a single mom. So I was thinking like, oh my goodness, like this is going to be a lot for this on this person's plate. And I immediately looked at my calendar and I was like, okay, here's what I can do 
and this isn't one of the people that I'm closest to in my community, but I was like, I know that this person would show up for me if I needed something. I'm more than happy to show up for them, but I also don't want to be like overly involved and weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Be, yeah. Like overly yeah. helpful with someone I'm not super close to. So I just sent a text and said, Hey, I heard what's going on. Here's what I'm available on any of like any Wednesday, our kids have the same sporting event. So I'm like, I can do any Wednesday you need. Let me know. I'm already going like, just know that I'm available. And if you don't need me, no, don't worry about it. You don't even have to reply to this, but just like letting it be like a really specific, like, here's what I can do. And versus like, how can I help? Cause I also was aware and having a conversation with a mutual friend who's also been through a health crisis, the overwhelm that can come when everyone's just like, tell me what I can do. Like 30 people saying that it's just a flood of texts that now you have to like hold emotional space for other people. Exactly. To meet, exactly. Like trying to be helpful. Exactly. Can you talk a little bit about our nervous systems role in joy? So as we're thinking through how to hold space for joy and especially how to hold space for joy when we're in moments that are really hard and moments where we're feeling potentially a lot of grief and pain and suffering and fear. What is our nervous system's role in making space for that joy or or generating that joy? Yeah. Well, in any moment of trauma or pain or grief, um, difficult challenge, what we are fundamentally feeling is a lack of safety in our body. We do not feel safe because we feel attacked by threat. That's our primal sympathetic nervous system's reaction. When we feel that way, our nervous system really wants something to soothe it to say you're safe, you're okay, right? We all want to be told it's going to be okay. Think about it metaphorically, right? And when we activate the vagus nerve of our parasympathetic or relaxation nervous system, the longest nerve in our body that sends more messages to the brain than vice versa, We soothe ourselves and create safety. We actually secrete all the neurochemicals and biochemicals we need to calm our system down. And so it's actually the greatest act of justice when we soothe our nervous system through various tools that I talk about, because we are giving ourselves what the world did not give us or could not or cannot give us in this moment. That makes so much sense and is really comforting it gives, I think it creates space. It's permission to be able to hold space for two things at once, but also it creates this inner knowing that your body is capable of doing that. Yes. And I think that that like in moments of deep grief, trauma, fear, I think that it's easy to lose trust in our body that we can make it through, that we can find the joy, that we can find the thing that like is going to keep us lit up and allow us to keep, you know, living forward. And so being able to trust that our body is capable of doing that, I think is really, really significant for our, for our mental health, which then, you know, all of like the trickle down, like if you can believe and know that something is true, then how will you behave accordingly? And how do outcomes change? Exactly. You're singing to my soul. (laughs) So good. Can you share, how can we all step into joy activism a little bit more? You know, the truth is that point of this book and always about my activism has been to first and foremost to understand how I as a sacred being can find more joy. 
But what I didn't know would happen is that the more joy practice I cultivate, the more I give to the world, Mm -hmm. the more I can show up for others, the more I can fight for others, the more I can be my best self. So joy activism is really saying, I deserve this, even if I don't deserve the pain and suffering I've received. And that activism can only contribute to the world more. And so the way that we show up is honestly just showing up for ourselves. You know, it was a huge milestone for me in my self-care practice. This is about 10 years ago where I, um, you know, I'm an integrative physician. So I'm dedicated to self-care for my patients and myself. But it was always about being a better mother, a better doctor, a better wife, a better sister, you know, how can this will help me? And you hear it a lot. Take care of yourself so you can be there for someone else. And it wasn't until I realized, no, I am going to take care of myself just because I deserve it. Yeah. Because I'm a human being who deserves to be nurtured, loved, and tended to no matter what the world or my schedule or my Google calendar is telling me. Right. right. And joy activism is every day any moment it can be done. That's the beauty of this. It's accessible, free, and in our bodies. Nobody has to give us the right to do this. It's our own human right to be as much deep in our joy practice as we can be. I love that so much. I can't stand the phrase, you can't pour from an an empty cup. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Because, and so many people in my universe use it. Like so many people, guests I've had on the show, like, and I get the sentiment. Like I totally, totally get it. And it is not my job or my like primary role in life to always be pouring into other people. Now, have I chosen to do that in a million different capacities? Yes, I have. But- But you're, you're reminding me that um, I have a section in the tool in the um, part two that's about forgiveness because I say it's not forgiveness. I'm tired of forgiveness. Mm. It's not part of my revolution because it feels like work. I'm continually being asked. Now I'm being asked. Not only did you harm me, I'm being asked to work to forgive you. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I have a whole section on how I feel it's grace, not forgiveness. But, you know, so mo- making this revolution your own right? Saying that my justice is my justice is that I can check in and know what I need. And eventually what I need is better for all of you. But I don't really care about you right now. I care about myself. (laughs) Right. And that's okay. And when we talk about the conditioning of women, which I referenced earlier, like that's not what we're told. It's never like put yourself first, make sure you take care of you. Like your kid can be hungry for a minute. (laughs) (laughs) It's never about that. Um, Can you talk about when I think about self-care in your role, and I want to ask you what your self-care looks like, but I'm framing this question from this perspective that I'm sure on any given day, you're acutely aware of the care that your son needs that is really critical care. And so when you are holding that, and then you also just so beautifully and significantly pointed out your need for self-care and your devotion to your own self-care that is a selfish, selfish, self, <laughs> selfish. That's a good word. I think you just made a I'm new trying word. to combine words here. A selfish, <laughs> shameless act of yes. resistance to like do self-care that's just for you, not because you need to pour into your child. Can you talk a little bit about what that looks like for you and some of the specifics around that before we wrap up? Yeah. I mean, let's think about it. If, you know, and I'll note, I'm a mother to a child with a chronic illness, right? And who I will lose. There are studies to show that mothers like me 
live 10 years shorter lives because we damage our telomeres with the stress, right? I'm already in this at-risk population, okay? And yet, as you said, I cannot not transfer him, bathe him, change him, feed him, care for him, be there for him every second that he's in my watch, right? At the same time, let's say it's a day where I, so I don't think, I don't qualify my self-care as getting to a spa. It's not a commodity for me. That's all welcome fun. Like I'll take Mm -hmm. it any chance I can get, which isn't often, but that's not self-care. That's a treat. That's relaxation. My self-care is in moment to moment because the truth is, even if I'm with my son all day or traveling with him, which is even more of um, a piece of effort, I have the power of my own breath. I can take moments in between and soothe my vagus nerve and my nervous system, tell myself I'm safe with my breath by doing deep belly breathing, by lots of breath techniques that I talk about. I mean, you can do any sort of them. But the point is that it's more powerful than we think. It's not only soothing my nervous system, it's telling myself I'm safe and okay in this moment. It's also telling myself in that one breath each time that I have the power to start over for every moment of this day. Mm. So even if I'm feeling horrible, grief-stricken, angry, sad, every breath is a new moment to either feel it all again or to transmute it. Mm. And so there are ways that we can give ourselves justice in any moment or, you know, or it could be self-compassion just to not be berating myself that I feel shitty about how much work I have to do for my son. Let's face it. What mother is told that it's okay to feel bad or annoyed that they are over, quote unquote, overworked by their disabled child? You see what I'm saying? Like, who goes around talking about that? That feels shameful. Mm -hmm. But it is the truth. I love him. I love him. I He gives me so much joy. And the truth is, he is a lot of work. Yeah. And I can hold all that together and say, it's okay. You are human. You are like every mother who has walked before you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Can you, I mean, you've just given us a million examples, but can (laughs) can you give one more or take it a different direction if you want in terms of how you are currently showing up as a shameless mom? Mm. I think that really, I want to tell you this book, although it contains all the practices I've done myself, as well as with people all around the world. I feel like it was a healing journey because what it did was bring it together for me in a way to really signify that what I'm doing, the way I'm showing up as a shameless mom is rewriting this story every day, is expanding the small story that I felt like I was given, right? I mean, I tell people when Zubin was diagnosed, every dream I had as a mother was shattered. Mm every dream. He would never join a soccer team or, you know, I mean, from the small things to the getting married, to having a family, to thriving in his life, all of it was shattered. But I didn't know then what I know now, which is that rewriting my story every day has rewritten my dreams to be bigger than the ones I was given and that shattered in the first place. Mm. So I feel triumphant when I rewrite my story. And I feel triumphant when I see someone rewrite their story and expand their perspective to know that there is more than they were given always. 
Oh my goodness. What a fantastic answer. Thank you so much for everything you've shared in terms of your journey in motherhood, but also sharing bits and pieces of Zubin's experience. I mean, so incredible and powerful and the lessons that you are carrying with you and the permission that you just gave everyone else to consider how they can hold space for really hard things while also being a joy activist, I think is yes. so significant. And it's a way that we can all show up in an active resistance, which I love so much. So thank you for all of that. Can you tell people where they can find you, where they can get the book, Joy is My Justice and connect with you in all the online spaces? Yeah. Well, it's available at all the places that books are sold in real life and online. Or you can go to my website, which is WW. I'm sure you'll link to it, right? Yes. In we'll show notes. So in the you show can notes, link yeah. to my website and that will have also the links to buy the book right away. And then on Instagram is where I'm active most on social media. And I'm so happy to hear from people. I love hearing takeaways. I love, you know, you can tag both of us and tell us and we could have a real life conversation of workshopping these things. I think that that's the most exciting thing is now being taking this into the world and having real dialogue with mothers, women like you who are really showing up for their lives and wanting to have more joy, wanting to deeply dig into that joy in their body. And so I would love to hear from you, but those are the two easiest ways to find me. Okay, perfect. So we'll link to your website here. So your website is thenmeetsetimd.com. Exactly. And we'll link to that in the show notes. We'll also link, we have your Instagram and Facebook here. It will obviously link to the book so everyone can go get Joy is My Justice. If people go to shamelessmom.com and then click on the episode with Thunmeet Seti, you'll be able to just find all those links right there. Yeah. Oh my goodness, Thunmeet. Thank you so much for this beautiful conversation. Please Uh. come back again. There's oh, so many thank more you. We have to talk about. <laughs> I feel like we could go on for hours. There's Definitely. many things to dig into. I loved Definitely. it. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? 
This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us 